everybody. Once again, it's time for FAA Safety Briefing Live, and we're happy to present the January-February issue of 2022. I'm Paul Predecker. And I'm Susan Parson. Well, as always, it's nice to work with you and to be in be in the uh, Arizona time zone compared to Wisconsin. So, Well, I think it's the Arizona temperature that you like better than the time zone. Indeed. You're correct about that. And as again, we sort of introduced the concepts about this magazine and what um, FAA Safety Briefing is trying to accomplish. So, Sure. Um, well, we took off the 60th anniversary because we're now in our next um, 60 year cycle, I guess, or okay. next decade. So we we aim to be the safety policy voice for non-commercial general aviation. And you see the goals there to raise awareness of FAA resources, to explain safety and regulatory issues from an authoritative point of view, and um, to encourage continued training, which is very important to all of us. And one of the things I'd like to just mention about the continued training, um, this issue is devoted largely to all things medical and medical certification. It's especially important for pilots, but also for instructors, because as a CFI, one of the first questions, as you well know, you might receive is, you know, from a learner, a new learner is, well, what about this medical? What do I need to do? So this would be a very good resource for CFIs to help guide learners through this process. Well, I think so. And uh, another word about the magazine, each of our departments, each of our regular departments has a specific focus or mission statement. And we try to stick to that and you see them there on the page. So um, what that's, uh, that's kind of how we put every issue together. And specifically to this issue, we've got five main articles in addition to some other supporting materials. So take us through those, Susan. So we're going to start off with basic med is turning five, a little bit of a review of, of an important development for many pilots. Um, speeding up certification, um, human factors, the fact that the aerospace medical folks in our um, organization have lots and lots of courses, sources, and training resources. So this is part of what you were talking about with the CFIs. And we'll also look at who's who in the Office of Aerospace Medicine. Um, I, I think it's really important. We, we try to introduce someone as we do in this issue, FA Faces, but we, we try to get across the idea that, that we're people too, and we're aviators too, and we care. Um, so to take away to, to provide a little bit of information on the names and faces, not just the organization. Well, I think that's important, and especially for the new federal air surgeon who is very strong advocate of general aviation. Absolutely. And has her airplanes and is, I think she completely understands, you know, the medical certification process and what some of the challenges, but also what some of the remedies are that she's pursuing. Absolutely. So, so the first column, which we always start out with is jump seat. Um, prepared by the, the one of my bosses one of your bosses in yeah. flight standards rico um he talks about you know some of the progress they've made but the, the main point was that just like we you know pre-flight and monitor the condition of our airplane we need to do the same with ourselves well and that regular visit to the doctor even if it's not something you want to do or as important as regular visits from for your airplane to the mechanic which you might not like to do because of the um, the cost of it. But anyway, there's there's been a, a lot of 
positive developments over the years, right? Really, just since I've started working for the FAA, um, medical certification staff has done a lot to speed up issuance. Um, the compliance program um, is the the philosophy of that is explained there. And then there's basic med, which, as it puts it at the bottom, no excuse for anything but a full and frank discussion with your um, with your physician. Well, and this the spirit too of the compliance program is all about risk management, and and that has taken on a theme and a variety of. Uh, presentations that we've made, but it's the heart of the ACS and um, how we can be advocates for our own, you know, medical certification and and examine some of the risk. Now, um, the other thing this article points out, and you're going to see this throughout this particular issue of the magazine, things that you can do, things that you should do to ease and speed your medical certification. But if, if you think you might have an issue, uh, get the facts. There are lots of sources for facts nowadays. Use your resources, which can include um, aviation or advocacy organizations. Resolve the problem. That's the most important thing for your health and everything else. Work with your physician and then document. And we'll talk in this magazine in this issue about what, um, not for specific conditions, of course, but ways that you can learn what the FA needs um, what you need to provide and how you need to provide it. So it's the, all about making it easier for everybody. And the, the reference to aviation organizations, I mean, certainly the, the general aviation industry is represented by a variety of associations that have medical help desk and helping with certification, but also um, in the in the part 121 world, um, many of the pilot union and pilot associations have the same benefits. Mm -hmm. uh, if you've got questions about certification or perhaps a group, in, you know, thinking about a medical condition and wonder how that will affect, it's a phone call away and often the answers are same day. So it's, it's a great resource. And so basic med, it's was in the works for a number of years. It it's, was. It's turned five years. Five years now. So and it, I mean, it provides a mechanism for people who may not otherwise be able to to fly and to get a medical, uh, an avenue for certification. Um, I well remember early on in the days of, you know, the beginnings of basic med, there were concerns of, um, well, safety. And some information has come out about that. Well, as you'll see on the far left there, and, and including in the magazine more detail, um, the FAA and the NTSB have just completed a required report to Congress summarizing findings of the first three years of basic med, because that was the data that were available. And um, the, the next to the last bullet on the left there, the study concluded no difference in the risk. So it, it I mean, I think that, that that was positive news for everybody who advocated for basic med. Um, what this article actually does is it summarizes what it is and isn't. It's an alternative to the third class medical. It's not a quote unquote fourth class certificate. Um, it goes through the basics of what you need to do. And over on the far right are the, the, the foundational requirements for airmen, aircraft and operations under basic med. But I think one of the points that we really want to make throughout this issue, you'll see it in various places, um, 6153 prohibits you from acting as yeah. PIC if you know of any condition that would make you unable to operate the aircraft in a safe manner. So it doesn't matter 
what kind of certificate or certification or qualification you have, you've got to make sure before every single flight that you're safe to fly. And, and this article does a, a really good job of summarizing, you know, the basics of, of what you need. It certainly covers, you know, the standpoint of the airman, what kind of aircraft you can fly and um, the ability to um, fly in the national airspace system without a lot of restrictions. Um, okay, no more than 250 knots, no more than 18,000 feet, um, stay within the United States, no compensation for hire. <clears throat> However, there is some guidance about if you're a flight instructor, you can operate under basic med. Um, so when I think about some of the issues we've done and we've referenced the, the new federal air surgeon, she's made a big point about saying we're, we're trying to get to yes yeah. in certification. And, and basic med is certainly one of those mechanisms that um, it, as we'll go through, if you look at the um, article in print, um, over five years, it's about 50,000. It's a uh, lot. It's, there's a, a lot of people now are able to um, in, enjoy the industry, enjoy flying, and have a, an avenue for renewal beyond that. And there's also some, some good advice in here about if you need a special issuance, how that can um, impact and be involved in you know, the basic med certification process. So if it's something you're considering, it's a great resource. And there's links, of course, on the medical certification website of the FAA.gov uh, website that can lead you through a lot of this. Oh, absolutely. So um, this is, I like this title because it, it immediately made me think of a couple of other things that I've been involved in in the past. Smooth is fast. And I mean, what they're really talking about is how to get ready to go through the process of certification in terms of getting everything in order. But I had two hobbies from some time ago um, and both instructors in those hobbies used the same reference. One was in target shooting with a handgun coming out of a holster. Um, that was um, a timed event. Um, I did training where I was required to fire so many shots and I think it was four seconds or something like that. And it didn't seem like that was near enough time. So in my head, I was very quick. And the instructor said, you're not going to be quick if you're abrupt and doing you know, abrupt movements and you need to give the impression that you're being very smooth. And the way to do that is to actually take a breath, take your time, and you'll have plenty of time. And I had the same discussion with golf, that, <laughs> that um, if you know, you're trying to be a... Uh, have some agility in the game of golf, your actions need to be smooth, not necessarily abrupt and powerful. In fact, I read a, a book a long time ago that said the key to a you know successful golf, golf swing is to have effortless power rather than a powerful effort. Oh, I like that. I'll have to remember that. So all of this to say, Here's how you can get your paperwork in order and get through this well, process. Well, it's about not being um, not not being panicky, not just throwing documents at the FAA, um, not sending things in piecemeal. It's um, it, it it's the, the there's there's some reassuring information. I put that in italics over on the left hand side. Um, you might not meet the regular medical standards, but there are other options. Special issuance is one. Um, the statement of demonstrated abilities and other. There are means of medical compliance like basic med. We talked about sport pilot. 
and aircraft that don't require a medical certificate at all, balloons and gliders come to mind. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the real key in getting your, um, your medical certificate is to do the smooth and maybe not as fast as you might think you should, but getting everything together. Documents need to be legible with name and date and identification numbers. Um, letters are signed and dated. It's probably amazing how many are not. Include all the information the FAA is requesting. Um, here's another big one. I think keep a copy of everything you've submitted and make sure that they have your contact information. Of course, yeah. So um, this also talks about a couple of other resources. One is the conditions AMEs can issue. We'll talk about that a little bit more later on. Um, and you'll see several references throughout the magazine, this guide for aviation medical examiners. It's obviously intended for AMEs. I didn't realize that we could look at that. Sure you can. Yeah. Um, and in fact, um, the aerospace medicine office encourages people to look at that because you can see what exactly is required. You can see what the FAA is asking AMEs to do. Um, and so it's written for doctors, but it is available to anybody online. And then you have real people you can reach out to. Well, and on, on the left side of your slide, that there's a, a couple of nice pieces of information. One is that if you do need a special issuance, it will first have to go through the um, Aerospace Medical Certification Division. However, there are many other special issuances that when it's time comes for renewal, they can be dealt with at another level, which is a which is a more streamlined process. And then the, the sodas, I mean, there's a, a variety of conditions that might require the, a soda. I've certainly... Color vision. Color vision is one. Yeah. Um, one of my most favorite students a long time ago uh, had lost his sight in one eye and he had a soda mm -hmm. um, where he basically had to fly um, down the runway at a certain height just to show he yep, had the yep, depth perception. perception. Yeah. So they're all workable things. You just have to know what the resources are and um, and get everything in line. I, as I'm reading this, I'm also thinking about doing my taxes, and it's the same <laughs> the same principle. Maybe get it all together. Get it all together, and yeah, you know. Yeah, I got to do that too. Okay. Well, one uh, another thing is it's it's about getting it together, but it's it's about getting the information, and I think that's one of the points that is stressed repeatedly in the articles in this issue, starting with uh, what was in the front article in Jumpseat, get information. There's no excuse these days not to get information from the FA directly or from aviation organizations, the advocacy organizations, sure. from the internet, although obviously you have to make sure that it's a reputable source. Of course. Um, but uh, it's there. there's a lot of information out there to help these days that wasn't around when you and I were learning to fly. No. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. Right. No, it, it was, we were sort of at the mercy of just maybe whatever, one per, one person's yeah, information right. and whatever you could find. Exactly. Yeah. We're not that old though. <sighs> Feels like it. Um, this page is here just as uh, actually it's an encouragement to go actually look at the magazine. Um, it has some charts like the conditions that AMEs can issue. Um, the the conditions that are um, that are in that program, um, they're expanding all the time, and there are worksheets that can be used to um, for the AME to go through. And then this five trip uh, tips to fast track your medical. Some of that we've already talked about, but 
this page gives a little bit more information about each one of the the points that were on the previous slide. I mean, the basics are to list, you know, list all your conditions, um, find out before you show up to your appointment yeah. what documents you need to bring to your appointment. Um, make sure that you know you're having a chat with your physician about your medical what the medical certification process is like so he or she understands um you know have a frank discussion with your ame and then um, make sure you submit your information timely um, i mean it's all the basics and on the on the right it's these are conditions that um perhaps at one time or another might have either required um you know a deferred medical or you know, action that was slower or maybe no medical certification. But this is a kind of a short list. I think the article says there's 30 now conditions that um, AMEs can issue. And there's worksheets to help you, to go you know, to go through now. all of this. So again, this is just part of the, of the process of being an advocate for yourself and leading the way to getting a, a medical certificate. So. And I would point out too that the FA is constantly looking at <clears throat> expanding this list of conditions that AMEs can issue. So. Well, and we'll talk about this later, but it's the same with medications. Oh, sure. Sure. Um, I like this next one. It's got a little personal story. Hey, I like pizza. <laughs> yeah, it's got a little personal story that you, you yeah. brought into it, but also um, Dr. Norther makes a very good point. Yeah, rather than my story, I really want to focus on uh, the reason I call this article the pizza principle. I sat in one of the um, not the front row, but I think the next one back at Oshkosh this past summer when the administrator did his presentation. And there was a question that came up for Dr. Northrop and she stood up and she says, you know, she says, I know why, why are you frustrated? And I get it. And we're, we've got lots of work to do and we're working on it. But she, she told us, she started out with this story about how um, if you go and order pizza, which we did the other day. Yep. Uh, you order a pizza and you can see when it was ordered and some sites will even let you track the construction of your pizza, when it goes into the oven, when the driver gets it or when it's ready to pick up. So her her view is, well, if you can do that with a pizza, you should be able to do that with your medical certificate. Because what what has what frustrates people is that you send in all this paperwork and you you it goes into what seems like a black hole, you, you don't have anybody you can ask, you don't have anything that you can see, but um, but they're, they are working on a system that will allow you to track your medical just the same way you track your pizza. Um, I can't wait to see it. I, I would say that there's a lot of people who might be hungry for that. Uh, that's a very good way to put it. <laughs> very good. So our next one is about, you know, the, the whole process, it's not just your AME, there's a lot of people behind the scenes in the um, aerospace medicine office. And this is a, a well, kind of a nice review of who's who's doing what. Of who's doing what. In the, in the pizza principle, I, I had a, an italicized piece over there, you may have noticed that said um, that Dr. Northrup is, and her team are very committed to this getting to yes. And I didn't realize, um, uh, well, I, I think I kind of knew, but but this article makes it clear how many of our medical decision makers are active or former pilots. Um, and our federal air surgeon herself, she flies a Stearman and a Texan, and she's from a flying family. 
And she says, I've heard her say it personally, I really understand how important this is to pilots. Um, so this explains the, the um, aerospace medicine is a big organization with lots of divisions. There's headquarters, there's the Civil um, Aeromedical Aero, Aero um, Institute in Oklahoma. Um, there are lots of different, uh, there's the regional flight surgeons and then the different divisions that we'll talk about. But the ones that, that we focus on in this article, um, the Aerospace Medical Certification Division, this is where your special issuance is processed and they have a huge workload. Well, I was the numbers are impressive, 380,000 medical applications and 34,000 um, SIs a year. It's, it's a lot. Um, but they are also responsible for MedExpress, um, the aerospace medical certification subsystem, and things. I mean, these are sort of abstract things, but the document imaging workflow system, those are very important in getting this processing done. Um, aerospace medical, um, I mean, the uh, medical specialties division, they look at the policies and standards, um, behavioral health questions a lot. And, I, I think they're very pleased with this um, new doctor of clinical pharmacy who's okay. very helpful with the medications. Yeah, it's clear that there's a, a lot going on behind the scenes. And um, I, I mean, even going back to the whole Medical Express um, or Med Express application, I mean, even that was a way to streamline things. Oh, absolutely. Um, human factors. Um, this is always important because, I mean, this largely addresses um, well fatigue, and I'm sure there's every pilot out there has flown tired or fatigued. Really? Really. Yes. I can relate to some of my experiences. I know, I'm just being facetious. As a flight instructor for an airline where we didn't have any simulators, so we had to fly and teach on the airplane, but we only had, we could only do that in the middle of the night because the planes were being used for revenue flights during the day. I, re I remember I was trying to adjust to the sort of midnight to 4.30 routine. And, um, you know, somebody told me, oh, you'll, you'll get used to it. And I said, <laughs> I don't want to get used to this. I mean, this right. is not, this is not what I want to do, but um, it's a good article about, you know, acute fatigue as well. Maybe we just had a, you know, a late night, whereas chronic fatigue um, is ongoing. And the one thing that caught my attention in this is that the chronic fatigue, you might not realize that you have it because it could just feel like, well, this is your norm. Well, and I, I thought it was interesting that um, when they talk about chronic fatigue and research into how you detect it, because as mm -hmm. you say, you may you may be so used to it that you don't even notice. But they're using biomarkers um, and doing research into biomarkers, molecular biomarkers. And that's something that the Aerospace Medical Research Division is, is doing. Um, because fatigue has been a factor in so many accidents and incidents, um, human factors in general, human factors is, uh, it's, it's a, sounds like an abstract term, but it's, it's essentially you're the study of how humans interact with their environment. So CAMI is doing a lot of research mm -hmm. into that. And well, I, I noticed that also for air traffic, and, yeah, for air traffic controllers, especially. Well, and and I the the uh, flight deck human factors research research laboratory, um, human factors in the flight deck. There have been accidents and incidents where 
um, including some fairly recent ones mm -hmm. where um, I think there is a growing realization that is the subject of this research that, okay, so you have an alarm for this and alarm for that and alarm for the other. But uh, I mean, you, if, if too many alarms are going off, the human brain can't comprehend it. So. Well, and I remember reading, I don't know where this was, but it, it's a popular concept that if you're fatigued can also change your performance the same way that being under the influence can. I've seen that. Um, so that's, to me, that's really kind of says it all. It's something we have to pay attention to. And the one thing that the article goes into some detail is that the FAA has reached out to collaborate with industry and academia to do some of this research and to gather the data. Um, there's a reference in there to working with Washington State University on some projects. And in my, my former 121 life, um, we actually uh, worked with Washington State University. Oh, wow. Um, and one of the pilot associations, um, we were asked to um, examine the difference between a long haul flight as it related to performance indicators compared to an equivalent number of hours, but divided into five shorter flights. Um, we basically donated the simulator for about a month for this project. And the, inst the instructors and the pilots um, were put into the simulator just like a normal flight. And we had paperwork and flight releases and everything. And in one case, we did one eight hour flight. Um, and then in the other case, we did five shorter flights that equaled eight hours. And the reason we picked eight hours, of course, was because the of the, day, the right. duty time today. And then the researchers from Washington State um, had a, um, a mechanism and a tool to look at reaction times. And for example, they would um, put one of their measuring devices, you know, in the pilot and say, okay, we're going to look at performance. And it was basically a device to measure reaction time. And at the end of the day, they found that the five flights were more contributing to performance reduction and fatigue than one eight hour flight. I'm not sure I would respond that way. But that's over, I think it was 25 pilots that turned out to be. That was the, the data that they came up with. Well, flight instructors should keep that in mind. <laughs> Indeed. Because yes. flight instructors are doing very intense, um, multiple, fairly, flights, multiple a day. flights a day, different lengths, um, probably different temperatures, depending on mm -hmm. go out in the morning or come out in the evening. So I, I think um, even though some of this research is immediately directed to commercial aviation, it really does have implications for everybody. Absolutely. And one of the, you know, offshoots of all of the research on fatigue, of course, has been in the, in the Part 121 world, the development of Part 117, mm -hmm. which is the flight duty rules, which yep. have had a, a big impact on how flights are scheduled and how crew members need required rest. And um, so there's a, a big move to tighten that up and to address that it's a real issue. Absolutely. Um, faces. FAA faces. So, Dr. David Hardy. Yeah, um, he has been recently been appointed as the manager of the Aerospace Medical Education Division, which does a lot of different things: seminars for new and renewing physicians, safety briefings, um, and this is the stuff that pilots really enjoy: uh, training the spatial or or uh, disorientation, hypoxia recognition, and survival. 
um, library support, um, mm -hmm. publications, a little bit of everything. Um, Dr. Hardy, um, I noticed he has a Boston accent. It says you'll recognize him mm -hmm. from that. I haven't had an opportunity to meet or talk to him yet, but um, yeah, he's he's had a background that includes military as well as um, civilian and uh, thousands of hours as a military flight surgeon. So he's done a lot of different stuff. Well, and the, the Aerospace Medical Education Division, of course, is responsible for, um, well, educating two groups. I mean, the AMEs, mm -hmm. but also the pilot groups. But also the pilot community. And I, I, uh, I knew one of his predecessors quite well. We would meet up at, uh, at Oshkosh every year, and he was very enthusiastic about we've got all this neat stuff and we've got this and we've got that and we've got the other. And we, we actually have some information coming up on some of the, the things that, uh, that are being, in, that are in development. Okay. Here's a fun little thing, aeromedical crossword puzzle. Um, yeah, one, we've done this. Uh, I think we did it once um, before. Uh, I think it may be in, in the surface safety issue. I can't remember. It could be, once again, it, it would help if you read the issue because then, the answers will be a lot easier. Well, so. the answers are easier, but this is this is a. I, I think the the team did a really great job coming up with this because it, it turns out it's a whole lot harder to write and develop things like a crossword puzzle than you mm -hmm. might think. Um, so they spent a lot of time in doing it, but the idea was to you know, give you some another opportunity to interact with the material in a different way. Um, maybe to reinforce some of the concepts, but also just to be more engaging. Yeah, it so, is fun. It is fun. Yeah. This this is a great review um, by your colleague Jennifer on some of the resources. Um, yeah, there's there's so much information available. The article talks about the aviation physiology course. Um, there's uh, human factors. There's the pilot minute uh, video series, uh, the AME minute, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Um, courses on the entire medical certification process, safety brochures, and all of this, of course, is at no cost. Um, and then there's two other things. One's well known, and one I just learned about. Yeah. The um, so there the article has some pictures. Yeah. Um, that that go with it, but. This is about educational programs. This is the thing that Dr. Hardy is the newly named manager of. Educational programs and hands-on training to help pilots recognize an aircrew, recognize and manage, it says, the physical and mental stresses of flight. So the thing that they're really excited about right now is, I'm not sure how they plan to pronounce it, Y-Waves, um, but it's the Wind and Wave Evacuation and Survival Facility. It's basically a giant pool that will allow all kinds of water survival scenarios um, getting out of an and it's aircraft. In, is it being built in Oak City? I believe it is yeah. being built in Oklahoma City. Uh -huh. um, so I don't recall right off, I think it's in the article, what uh, the, the, the timing is for opening, but I think it, it will provide lots of opportunities and to be much more realistic than anything that we can do right now sure. with the state of the art. Um, then they have the PROT or PROTE, the portable reduced oxygen training enclosure, which is a traveling altitude training device. Um, and it's got, uh, the, the article talks about what you have to do to be eligible, but basically it's uh, pilots 18 with a valid medical certificate. But 
Um, have you done something similar? I have. I did an altitude chamber at Andrews Air Force Base years ago when I was doing my high altitude endorsement. And uh, it's it's definitely something that is worth do, trying to experience. I have never done it, um, but I've, you know, certainly had experiences with, you know, higher altitude operations. Um, and even just geographically, um, years ago, I used to teach in, um, I used to teach in Denver and where I was staying was up at about the 8,500 foot level. And, um, people I was staying with would often make the comment, Oh, is it the, isn't the air great here? And I would say, well, yes, if you can get some of it, it is. <laughs> and it's every time I went there, it was a headache for a day and eventually it got better. Um, and that was at 8,500 feet and, you know, cabins of aircraft and commercial airlines are often pressurized to about that altitude. And of course it doesn't take too long to get above that in a non-pressurized general aviation airplane. So it's, it's good to know what your baseline would be yeah. uh, to know when you would be susceptible to the, to the effects of high altitude. Well, before I took the, uh, I did the altitude chamber, which was very interesting to see. It, it allows you to see what your individual reaction is. But uh, and you'd be amazed when they they when you're oxygen deprived and they ask you to write stuff and then you look at it later and go what what did I do? Mm -hmm. um, it turns out for me it was kind of graying out from the outside. Sure. In. But another another sign and I actually experienced this because I was with um, several other pilots years ago going to, um, out. We were crossing Lake Michigan in a bonanza. And we went at a very high altitude because as the owner of the airplane says, I don't like to get wet. Yeah, got that. Um, but <laughs> he, he was kind of right on the edge of where he should have been. And I ended up with a wicked headache that lasted for quite some time. And I realized later that it was, um, it was even though we were perfectly legal, um, there was definitely less oxygen at that well, and the other thing this program does too is it teaches you about time of useful consciousness. Yes, I re I remember. Well, in was it twenty twenty? Yes, it was in twenty twenty when I was doing uh, medical transport right. flights in the Lear. All right, the Lear was you know pretty capable of going to thirty nine, you know forty one, forty three thousand feet, and I was always making sure that our pre flight included a review of that the masks were proper, that they were attached. And if I heard something um, that I didn't want to hear, what would my actions be to get it? Immediate, right. Um, yeah, the, the other reaction I had being at like 43,000 feet was I looked out the window and I just thought, I hope I don't fall out. You know? I mean, it just <laughs> seems pretty high. It is high. So, so what's Pilot Minute about? So um, the FAA Aerospace Medical People already produced something called the AME Minute which covers medical policy. And it's uh, kind of like the, the AME guide that we talked about and talk about again here. It's It was produced and developed for aerospace medical examiners, AMEs, but gosh, it's awfully useful to pilots as well. But uh, now they are producing another video about monthly. It's called the Pilot Minute and it features Dr. Susan Northrup, who's the federal air surgeon. It's part of her effort to have more open communication with pilots. Um, this is the Airman Education mm -hmm. team doing it, and they're looking at medical issues and pilots' concerns and uh, 
she's hosted the first two. I'm not sure if the intent is for her to host all of them, but when I, I mean, they're, they're great. They show her pre-flighting the steermen and then taking off in that airplane. Um, and that, that is her grass strip. I mean, she said, that's my backyard. That's well, what she told me. The, the nice thing about this is that it puts her face into the community. She's, she's not somebody who's actually behind the scenes. I mean, she's actively involved in promoting. In aviation yeah. and part of an aviation family and everything else. So, um, so th this is, this is another way. And I call it straight from the source because I'm going straight to the FAA with this or some of the other resources. This is how you get information that you need. Well, and the third bullet, you know, comments about, you know, FAA safety briefing. There's typically two articles dedicated to, um, medical issues and advice. And um, speaking of that. And speaking of that, this next one is um, about drugs. Mind your meds. Um, this is the Aeromedical Advisory written by the Federal Air Surgeon. And uh, one of the things, you know, people are always asking, is this okay or is that okay? You know, how, how do we know what medications are all right? Well, they're, they're trying to develop a guide to make it more clear what is and isn't acceptable. But this article provides, um, and, and it had to be summarized for here, but it's a fair amount of detail about medications that are usually acceptable, but they're but always exceptions. Always exceptions, but usually is a good word. And know. then the unacceptable for flight, those are pretty much a no, no way, no how, not going to happen. And I mean, some of them are, obviously they're muscle relaxers, they're sleep-inducing agents, but the, the one that gets people caught off guard sometimes is Benadryl. Benadryl. It's in sleep medications. It's in cough and cold medications, Allergy. allergies, and um, it's easily obtained and it's a problem for flight. Well, in fact, it's the most common medication seen in fatal aircraft accidents. Um, I, I, I like the, there are a couple of thoughts that are in this article that I think are, are worth remembering. One is if you need medication for something, Flying is not a good idea, especially for cold. Mm -hmm. And I, on the in the little box at the bottom, when in doubt, ask your AME because your personal physician may not understand the implications for flying. But you can ask this simple question: Would you feel safe on an airplane if your pilot was using mm -hmm. this medication? And if the answer is no, um, that's a then pretty good indication that. that that you shouldn't do it. But there's other parts of this too about. Um, you know, the dose, the dosing, and if you need a cold medication, mm -hmm. okay, fine. But there has to be some time. Uh, you can't, you know, take your last dose this morning and say, well, I'm going to go fly at noon. There has to be some time where the life of the um, drug has, you know, been purged. So pay attention to that and get some advice. And there's a lot of it that's available on, on the um, aviation websites. And then there's the all of the over-the-counter medication. And as we were preparing for this, I was, you know, thinking that um, me medication is the answer for everything if you look at TV because <laughs> you, you you can't watch a program without some prescription medicine being advertised, listing all of the side effects, which are typically well, significant. They, they and it's the same with over-the-counter. Exactly. They list all the side effects in either tiny type at the bottom or in a really auctioneer fast kind of voice. Mm -hmm. um, so you're you're kind of listening going, wait, 
But most of them now I've seen and heard so many times, I think I could probably say it for them. But over-the-counter medicine, we, we tend to think, oh, well, that's not a problem. But we've talked about the fact that Benadryl certainly is. Um, all, of the, all of the antihistamines and even the, um, the painkillers with um, a sleep agent like the um, PM type of medications. Well, that's, those are using the same drugs as Benadryl or a derivative of an antihistamine that might uh, induce drowsiness. That's why it's a sleep medication. Mm -hmm. So Well, if it says do not operate heavy machinery, that includes airplanes. Even, indeed. <laughs> even if you have a light airplane. Another thing that um, I think we get a lot of questions about now is CBD products. Um, the FA strongly discourages using these products if you are in aviation. Well, and it's simply because supplements like that are not regulated. They're not regulated and we don't know what they are. Um, another thing, this is another plug for the AME guide. There is a do not issue, do not fly section that includes some of the commonly used OTC medic medications that are safe and those that are not. So that's it's just another great resource that you can use. But there's also a guide about what is safe and those um, that list is increasing as more and more drugs are evaluated. And, and Well, and that's something that the clinical pharmacist yeah. that is now part of the FA is doing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was interested to see this article, ADHD. I mean, I think we all know in general what it is. Um, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder. But the one thing that I did not actually connect the dots on was that there are some people who might also present impulsivity. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and impulsivity in flying is typically... Um, I don't know if I throw it into a hazardous attitude, but certainly that could be the outcome. Well, um, the, it, it talks about the subtypes of ADHD, mm -hmm. which I had not heard about. Predominantly inattentive, predominantly hyperactive or impulsive, and then mm -hmm. the combined presentation and all three can pose a hazard to flight safety. Um, and in the red section in the middle, you know, NTSB investigations have shown that there were, that this really is a problem. So, um, ADHD is considered a disqualifying condition, and a lot of the medications for ADHD are also disqualifying because of the um, side effects that they can have. Um, so thorough evaluation of special issuance is possible, but all, like all special issuances, it would be time limited with monitoring and assessment required. Yeah. So, I mean, this, is, this has been an increasing issue um, over the years. Well, and simple examples that, you know, if if you're presenting, you know, the, the symptoms, um, it might be easy to skip over a pre-flight, mm -hmm. um, you know, getting the weather, things like that. Yep. Um, and then in flight, perhaps making impulsive decisions, which are not always the best. Exactly. This is our nuts, bolts, and electrons, and about the new service um, difficulty, difficulty reporting, reporting system. Yeah, there's the, um, so I think of this as this is kind of um, part of the keeping your airplane healthy. Mm -hmm. um, aer it's aerospace medicine for um, for the machines themselves. But there's a new service difficulty reporting system, um, refreshed, updated, personalized, and packed with new features is the is the tagline there. Um, you can find everything you need on the navigation bar. Um, you can use one click to create a malfunction or def a defect report. Um, there are FAQs, there's what's new. And this is really important because 
the data that you provide in an SDR is data that we can use to improve safety, identify equipment malfunctions, help manufacturers, help the FAA, help your fellow pilots. And not only is it a um, not only is a system for input, there's also a system for output where you can review other issues that might be associated with your engine, your part, your airplane, and see what other people have reported. It's like anything else. Um, it's it's a form of crowdsourcing in a way. I always think <laughs> I, I I talked about pirates um, as crowdsourcing weather. I mean, it's it it's the the more people who contribute to it, the better the information is and the more accurate it is. Well said. We often see this um, checklist, safe, yes. the I'm safe checklist. Yeah. But this is all about how it should be applied to um, drone operators of any type of operation, whether it's under 107 or um, under some, you know, the exception for limited operations, um, but also for the observers, if you have a team of observers. I, well, the thing about drones is that you have the remote pilot, but very often you have visual observers. You have, you, you really have a crew. And sure. so we talked in previous episodes about how crew resource management is very important for, um, for drones and mm -hmm. drone operations. Um, and this is uh, this is about you know the health of drone, not just the remote pilot but the entire crew is really important. And the I'm safe checklist is just as important for drones. And there's a whole graphic there with um, I'm safe for drones. Well, and I mean think about it. I mean some of the drones that are out in the system are fairly large, moving at a fairly high rate of speed. Yes and they can cause damage and exactly. cause safety issues. So I think I read where the number of drones now is a million it's that are certified or registered. It's so way beyond the number of, of um, traditional aircraft. Yeah. Oh yes, by a lot. So with all of that, um, it, it, it's important to stress, most of the things that we talk about apply to all levels of the industry. To pilots, mechanics, to dispatchers, to drone pilots, everybody involved in aviation. Um, so many of these topics, they might be specific to one issue, but they have more widespread appeal, including how to, how, to, how to do a briefing for helicopters. Yeah, I learned from this article. I, I've, um, I've done one helicopter lesson in my life. I really loved it, but I was also trying to do multi-engine training at the same time and short of winning the lottery, I had to kind of make choices. But um, I, so I, I didn't- So what, get, you chose not to win the lottery or what? No, I would love to win the lottery, <laughs> okay. but I chose not to, um, yeah, I chose not to stick with multi-engine training rather than going into um, rotorcraft. However, um, I learned a lot of things that I didn't have time to get into with one introductory lesson. But this is three tips to brief your helicopter passengers. There were some things in here that, you know, obviously the danger of rotors, you know that that, that but how do you safely enter and exit to avoid blades and how to get out of a damaged helicopter safely? So you talk about pre-flighting the flight and that is before you go out at all, um, spend some time in the FBO or someplace else, get and keep their attention. I think exactly. that's probably the hardest thing about passenger briefings 
And then I really thought that these specific instructions for a helicopter passenger briefing were really good. Um, some of them seem obvious, but um, you know, the never approach the tail boom or move behind the rear door. I think mm -hmm. you might know that and I might know that, but somebody who's not familiar with rotorcraft would not. Well, even somebody who's familiar with fixed wing aircraft mm -hmm. needs to understand that the helicopter presents unique challenges. The walking into the tail rotor, even if it's not moving. I mean, just the fact that there's yeah. the tail rotor hanging down. Um, the concept of the doors and how to secure things. Um, the other thing is, for some helicopters, you don't always get in on the side. You may come in through the back. There are different ways through, yeah. Different um, entry and exit points, so... Well, and I, I think uh, this this article also makes a plug for the Rotorcraft Collective video series. And there's one specifically on helicopter passenger management. So if that's something that mm -hmm. um, if you're going to be a helicopter pilot or a Rotorcraft pilot and take passengers, it's worth paying attention to those. As we, um, you know, get kind of near the, the wrap-up point, uh, January, February 8th, this is sort of the, you know, little snippets of news. Um, one that caught my attention was open and closing flight plans via the phone, via the interactive voice response system, which mm -hmm. is which is a new thing. Um, I think in our last issue, we talked about we, lasers, we talked about lasers being on the increase, and my goodness, that's such a danger to, to, the, to pilots. Didn't and you have that happen? I did. Yeah. Um, it wasn't my last flight into O'Hare, but it might have been the day before my last flight. Um, I can actually remember the approach into nine right, just about the time we got over the final approach fix. There was green light flashing in the flight deck. And obviously the first thing you have to make sure is that you don't look down. Yeah, don't look at <laughs> don't, it. You're tempted. Where is that coming don't from? But it, don't, don't do that. Yeah. Because if you if you take a direct hit, you're, you're risking some damage. Uh, the main thing is to report it. Um, I can I can t assure you that it, you know most airports, if you report you just had a laser event or a laser strike, they will immediately tell the airplanes that it might be following you of exactly where that was. Um, and I've even heard it on ATIS before, where there've been laser yeah, activity. Yeah. So uh, another thing, there's a proposed medical for commercial hot air balloon pilots. Um, and then there are several military airports that have become eligible for funding to add civilian operations. So you can get more details in the article. And one we skipped over was increasing aviation safety in Alaska. That's yes. A, um, one of the articles or one of the comments in that article was that 80% of the communities in Alaska are served by aviation. aviation. By general aviation. Yes. Yeah. And that the things they're working on is, of course, better reporting. Better better weather reporting like webcam we've talked about webcams that. and um also better charting of, oh, yeah. of terrain and features so some good good information this is always you know the point where we encourage and oh, absolutely uh, get feedback uh we get uh feedback but you can write to us at safety briefing at fa.gov um one of our staff routinely monitors the mailbox and takes the comments and letters that we get and ships them around to the rest of the staff. Uh, we respond sometimes directly. Um, we then, unless we've been asked not to, um, we might print um, at least part of the um, 
comment and the response right here mm -hmm. in the forum. You can also reach us through Twitter at FA Safety Brief. Um, we have a, a Twitter stream and Facebook page and uh, quite a few other means. And is this monitored on a like daily yes. sort of basis? Absolutely. Okay. Um, we've talked about this a lot. Oh, it's yeah. undergone some changes, but it's still you know, important information about how do you get the magazine? Well, you can get the print edition through the government printing office. Um, I'm going from the bottom up, obviously. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, um, sign up for email notifications when there is a new issue. Uh, I usually do the download in PDF, the mobile, mm -hmm. and it has mobile-friendly links to individual features. If you look over the, on the right-hand side, the, the screenshot, um, I, I had to cut it off, but if you go below um, what's um, visible there, it has the links to the mobile-friendly specific articles. Okay. And then what I did there, there's it's it's in bold archived issues, so you can go to the archived issues. And um, there it is. There's the website, so you can just um, download the PDF for free. I've, I've actually used the archived issue before because I, you know, I think we've covered a topic, or I might be interested in some information. It's easy to navigate through. All the issues are there, and it's it's a great resource, especially if you're an instructor and you might have a topic that you want to expand and teach to a to a learner, then you can go back and pick up some of the archived issues. Yeah, I've actually used it myself. We talk about periodically doing an index, but this day and age, um, just the archived issues is probably faster than somebody going through an index. Yeah. Um, heavy social media presence. We do. I probably need to update these numbers, but um, we've already talked about Twitter. We have an active stream there. Um, at FA Safety Brief. There is a specific uh, GA safety group on Facebook. Um, and the whole idea is that you're supposed to be honest and open and it's moderated to ensure that there's no bad behavior. Mm -hmm. um, we contribute to the YouTube GA playlist, um, to Instagram stories, to the FA's Medium blog, as well as to the FAA's, um, um, the FA's Facebook stream. It's a lot. And is that all done by your colleague, Paul Cianciola? Uh, most of it is. Mm -hmm. He's the social media outreach person, and he also does uh, the statistics. And I got to ask him to update these numbers because I think they're probably higher. I'm sure. I'm sure. For which we're appreciative of that, yes. you know, people are using a variety of mechanisms to, to uh, check in here. Um, next issue. Um, just to guess, something maybe about maintenance. Yeah, the title of it is Meet the Maintainers. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to be talking about, um, uh, there, there's an article I, I edited and reviewed it just the other day that I'm really excited about. I thought it was fascinating. It's, 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 I, it, the title is different, but it's something like a day in the life of an AMT. Mm -hmm. And it goes through some of the things that an AMT might, um, might do and what all goes into the job. It's it, the amount that somebody has to know and keep up with and because things keep changing to keep, to to stay current with um, if you're in aircraft maintenance is is pretty enormous. Of course it is. And we're grateful for that. There are so many people Completely. out there who are so skilled at this. And we also talk a little bit more about the Charles Taylor Award, which is the, um, it's the maintenance equivalent of the Wright Brothers, Wright Brothers Award. Sure. Um, so, so there's information about that as well. Um, I, I think it's, 
um, it's shaping up to be a really fun issue. Well, they all are. Um, I, I certainly um, learn a lot by going through through them, even for topics that I think I know. I often find something that is is a, a good little tidbit. So, and we aim for shelf stability so that you can <laughs> use them as a reference. That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. So we're back to how to get the uh, wings and AMG credits. So now that you have taken this course, you can use this two-step process to earn wings and AMT credit. Um, the quiz is 30 questions and it's fairly straightforward. I, I, I hope that it will still encourage, even though you can probably um, pass the quiz just on the basis of having taken this course, we still obviously hope that people will go look at the magazine and read the articles in more depth because we can't present all of this content in detail in just a single hour. Well, and you'll need to read the magazine to do the crossword puzzle too. Um, yeah, I think you will. <laughs> I think so. And uh, to pull out the uh, the crossword puzzle. Um, the podcast, you know, there, there are quite a few of those, but um, the page that goes to the archived courses is really great because it it, it's a big picture of the, the cover and then you can just click and go straight to the course. So if you missed one of the previous ones, um, it's pretty easy to go and um, look at whichever one or ones that you want to take and get credit for. And then there's the link to the print copy, of which course. is an easy way to get it. Yeah. So we're starting out uh, 2022 with a, a, a good issue. And I know that your team is already working on you know, issues beyond this. We are. Um, we'll be back at a time to be announced for FAA Safety Briefing Live for, for the March, March, April, April issue. issue. Yes, indeed. So we invite you all to tune in, send your feedback. And um, it's been a pleasure to work with you again, Susan. And, Likewise. And do this. We um, invite all of you to see us next time to uh, stay safe and enjoy your flights. Good night.